Be sure to tune in to Tamina Talks Immigration with Tamina Watson this and every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Immigration attorney Tamina Watson founded Watson Immigration Law here in Seattle and is a frequent speaker, author, and blogger who has appeared in Forbes, CNN, The Seattle Times, and much more. On her radio show, Tamina will take all your questions live on air. Plus, she will discuss and provide insight into the latest immigration news and issues as well as talk with notable personalities who have impacted U.S. immigration laws or our notable immigrants themselves. Check out Tamina Talks Immigration Tuesdays at 10 a.m. on Daisy 1250 a.m., radio that listens to you. Good morning, Seattle. This is Tamina Watson on Desi 1250 AM. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have a wonderful guest here today. This is Dr. Minakshi Rishi. She's a dear friend and she's a renowned economist and here to talk about immigration and the economy and why economy plays a part in the decisions of immigration. But before we come to my dear friend, Dr. Rishi, we'll talk a little bit about what's um, happening in the world. If you're new to this show, this is Tamina Talks Immigration on Desi 1250 AM. We've been on air for about 18 months now for almost as long as Desi 1250 has been uh, around. And boy, are we happy to have Desi 50 around, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's really uh, brought our community together and we have music that we grew up with, music that we haven't heard. And it's just a delight to have um, Bollywood music all, um, all, all, all the time. And it brings up memories. I don't know about you, but, you know, when we were listening to the song just earlier, wasn't it like taking you back? <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking of Runa Laila because she sang that song. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Runa Laila, you know, she's Bangladeshi, so I have claim to her. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep part of her, too. <laughs> um, so, you know, th- listeners, if you want to uh, join in and talk about immigration and the, uh, the economy, then please call into the show at 844 844- 301-1250-844-301-1250. You can tune in live, of course, at 12.50 a.m. on your radio. Um, But you can also go to um, your website and live uh, stream from www.desi1250am.com. And then also there's the Android or iPhone app for Desi1250. Um, And, of course, uh, there is a new Facebook page called Tamina Talks Immigration on Facebook. And you can watch us and listen to us from the actual um, Facebook page. So lots of ways to communicate, engage, and tune in. And if you have somebody who likes the show, please let them know that we're on already. So be there or be square. So lots lots to talk about. And, you know, last week we talked about the um, H-1B executive order, and that did come out. What was interesting is... The executive order, you know, I don't know if you know this, Dr. Rishi, but uh, last time there were some executive orders, they were leaked in advance and everybody had a chance to mm-hmm. see them. Um, what was interesting about this executive order, nobody actually got to see mm-hmm. it in advance. And I had a lot of reporters call me uh, asking for comments and nobody had actually seen the the executive order. I was very lucky to have somebody send it to me in advance. So I sounded at least intelligent <laughs> about what I was saying when the reporters were talking about what was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was very interesting is the um, executive order looked very different to the leaked executive order on high-skilled immigration uh, and it really talked about two things even though it was called by american higher american um majority of the pages uh, really concentrated on by american so the first two pages were about definitions of what each term meant and then the other pages the next few pages were about by american and it was only really one page with two paragraphs on higher american and the first paragraph was 
hey, you agencies, go and tell us what we can um, uh, fix uh, and reform to prevent fraud and abuse. Mm -hmm. And then the second paragraph was really talking about, hey, you agencies, go back and tell me how we can reform H-1B. And so it didn't talk about any of the other visa programs. It didn't talk about some of the other issues that I was concerned about. Uh, it really honed into just H-1Bs. So it's going to be very interesting uh, to see what happens because much of it is really about Congress taking action, not uh, the administration. But administrative changes can be made. Um, and, you know, listeners, if you uh, just to just to pull a plug here, I was a guest on um, a different radio channel um, last week, and it was actually on air yesterday uh, on a show called The Record uh, on an NPR channel. And it was interesting because I had a debate with somebody who is an anti-H1B, um, um, you know, think tank. And uh, it was, it was, you know, I would highly recommend you go listen to it. So, you know, we have a very precious guest here today, and I won't take any more time talking about H-1Bs because I have so much to talk about with her. If you've just tuned in, this is uh, Tamina uh, Talks Immigration on Desi 1250 AM. Today's guest is Dr. Minakshi Rishi, who is a professor of economics at Seattle University. She is the director of the International Development Internship Program at SU. She has taught previously at the College of Business Administration, Ohio Northern University. Dr. Rishi's research focuses on economic development challenges faced by emerging economies such as capital flight, sustainable economic development, and the role of entrepreneurship in economic growth. Dr. Rishi is active in local theater and an active an eager volunteer for various events organized by Seattle's South Asian community. And I'm going to put a plug in for Chaya. If you don't know what Chaya is, the dinner is coming up on April 29th um, at 5.30 at Westin Bellevue. It's a wonderful event that both Dr. Risha and I have been supporting for years. She has performed in Dance Like a Man at the Act Theatre in 2015, Kingdom of Cards, and Mother in Another Language, which was recently, right? Mother in Another Language was previous to Dance Like a Man. That oh. was 2010. Oh, wow. It just doesn't feel that long ago. <laughs> she has been part of the vision group for Seattle Zilni Kibat um, and has participated in the show as well as directed it in 2013. She has collaborated on several events organized by the Gardner Center for Asian Art and Ideas at the Seattle Asian Art Museum. Dr. Rishi, I don't know how you find the time. I don't know, but that's, that's, that's why I'm an economist, because that's what economists study. They study scarcity and how to allocate um, scarce resources. Can you give me a cheat sheet for my own life? Yes. <laughs> scarcity of parking in Seattle, what do you do? <laughs> yes. That's economics. In <laughs> I love it. I love it. Parking goes back to economics. Yes. You know... Um, you know, thank you so much for taking time out. I know some of your students are probably missing you. And I'm very grateful that you're here today to talk a little bit about um, the, the relationship from, uh, it, to, it, to immigration and economics. And, you know, for those of us who don't really know what it really means, uh, what is economics? So um, I, could, I could teach you what economics is, but really it's what I said in the first um, sentence. It's a study of scarcity. It's also a study of how decisions are made under conditions of scarcity. But it's a very, very broad discipline that looks at broader questions as well. For instance, why are some countries rich? Why are some countries poor? What happened in 2008 to cause the worst recession since 1930s in the United States and um, in most of the world? Why have income and wealth become more unequally distributed over the past few years? How will population aging affect life in coming decades? 
And more importantly, and we can probably come back to this, how will our workforce change with advances in robotics, automation, and artificial intelligence? Um, so it's a broad discipline that helps us understand historic trends, interpret what's happening today, like what you know mm -hmm. the H-1B um, uh, um, information that you provided, and also make some intelligent predictions for coming decades. Wow. Um, so what do you do in your day job? So in my day job, I teach two classes um, this quarter. I'm an economist at Seattle University. And this um, quarter, I'm teaching financial markets as well as um, um, macroeconomics to an executive MBA population and dealing with the, my returning cohort, my interns who went and um, completed their internships in the winter in developing economy NGOs are coming back and um, we're learning from each other right now. So tell us a little bit about the internships. This is a program that is, um, it's the IDEP or the International Development Internship Program. I recruit from every major at Seattle University. Um, I take um, these students and place them in internships um, in developing countries, Asia, Africa, Latin America. Uh, these students actually work as interns in NGOs. They're not volunteers, they're not studying abroad, they're actually working abroad. And then they come back in, um, back to Seattle in spring, back to Seattle University, and take a reflection seminar um, and we work on a research paper. How interesting. I mean, it seems like a, um, an experience of a lifetime to go to a different country, be immersed in, in the actual lifestyle, and then learn about things that you don't necessarily see in America mm -hmm. in the it, same way. So a very educational um, um, experience indeed. So why, um, why is it economics important when it comes to immigration? So economics is, um, at one level, a study of economic growth in the long run, right? Why, how can an economy grow? How can we generate higher standards of living so the next generation has more than the present generation? Um, rising, rising standards of living matter to economists. So what are the sources of long run economic growth therefore matters to economists? And um, there are three reasons why immigrants are important to economic growth as a source of long run economic growth. Um, one is, um, so if you, take the, if you take economic growth and sort of break it down um, through some growth accounting into what, what generates long-run economic growth, it boils down to the rate of growth of labor productivity and the rate of growth of the labor input as um, a ratio in our population. And immigrants are important because they add to labor force growth, they add to human capital, and they add to labor force participation rates. And I can go deeper into this, but these are three very important reasons why um, economists make sure that immigration um, is, is, a, is, an, is, an, is a variable when we are modeling our long-run growth exercises. How, how interesting. You know, I always say this, but I obviously wouldn't be able to articulate it as well as you do. Um, Immigration should be an economic strategy for countries. Uh, many countries actually do use uh, immigration as an economic strategy, and you only need to look at Canada mm -hmm. to see um, what they are doing, because everything that we do, they try to do the opposite. And, you know, we don't want refugees, but they're welcoming refugees with open arms, and you can get each individual refugee as a tax-paying member of the community. Why, why do you think countries are doing that? Countries are, especially in um, developed countries, are going through what we call a demographic transition. Their workforce is aging. And Japan, you can look at Japan as a counter to um, Canada. Japan's um, labor force is aging, and there are not uh, as many native bonds that are replacing this aging population. So how will they grow in the long run when there is no labor force? 
And therefore, um, aging populations um, and coming decades, these structural issues are going to become even more important. Europe, for instance, is going through demographic challenges. And therefore, looking at newer sources of economic growth becomes imperative. Um, sure, you can talk about um, automate, automation, but uh, somebody needs to work with these machines. And if a population is aging and is unable to work, then where is the replacement going to come from? So that's where immigration really fills at that niche. Wow, that's, that's a very insightful way of putting it. Um, you know, it seems like economists like yourself are very concerned about the way this administration is going. And you are one of 1,500 ec economists who were very concerned, concerned enough to actually send a letter to the White House. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So um, some of us economists were getting concerned enough that um, led this, this whole challenge about um, writing an open letter was led by Douglas Holtz Eakin and a centrist political advocacy group. And um, we kind of honed down to um, four or five issues that um, help us understand immigration better. We also understand as economists that immigration may have some short-run costs, but as, as all of the signatories on this letter, we all understand that immigration has long-term benefits that far exceed these costs. So uh, I can give you the main points of the mm -hmm. letter. The main points of the letter uh, basically is that immigrant entrepreneurs create jobs. And, you know, I, I don't want to quote, quote statistics here, but there are, there's plenty there. If you have readers who want to go check this out, they can look at California, they can look at um, New York and bigger cities where immigrants have actually created, um, entrepreneurs have created jobs. Um, the second point on this letter was that immigrants are adding young workers to the population that is offsetting baby boomer retirements, which is the demographic challenges of economic growth that I was mentioning. Um, the third point on this was immigrants often bring in um, a diverse skill pool that keeps um, workforces agile, helps companies grow, and helps increase the productivity of even um, native bonds. So immigrants at even lower scale jobs can actually release native bonds to pursue higher um, level occupations. So it's a win-win because there's a complementarity created. So wow, I it, don't know if people understand that. So you're not substituting. So at a lower end job, if somebody takes care of very, at a very um, um, gross level, I can, I mean, at very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for at a very uh, simplistic mm -hmm. level. If somebody comes and does my yard work and somebody comes and cleans my car, then it frees up my time so I can pursue things in which I have a comparative advantage. So I could prep for maybe this interview or my lecture. <laughs> um, but that's, that's at a very simplistic level. But um, immigrants will often take jobs that at that, at that wage level, native bonds do not want to do. But those jobs are important because that without those jobs, the economy would not run as smoothly. I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. So the biggest question I get all the time, because I'm the immigration attorney filing visas for people, is <laughs> like, hey, these immigrants are taking our jobs. At a very, if you look at the data, at a very, very um, low, low skill level of the population, there are immigrants that are taking those kinds of low level jobs. Um, but at a very high end of the population, there is no such substitution. In fact, study after study has documented that immigrants are actually adding jobs directly as well as indirectly through increasing economic growth. And if the pie is increasing, everybody gets to eat more. 
Wow, I mean, that is just so well put. And the low skills jobs that you're talking about, what you really just described is they're taking the low skill jobs that native workers actually don't even want. But what it actually does is the native workers actually are getting themselves promoted, if you like, uh, to do, to take, you know, higher um, positions, in fact, because they are now being released from the low skill right. works. Yes. Interesting. Interesting. And, and, and just to add to that, nat- um, even if there were no, there were no immigrants mm-hmm. pushing these native bonds to, to seek higher level jobs, technology can be the big equalizer or the big push that tells you my job can be automated. Why don't I learn something different that cannot be automated? And it doesn't mean the technology won't evolve. Then you have to be agile and say, where can I go next? And that's where the role of public policy is, not in banning immigration, but in creating bridges so people even at the lower lower level of the skill distribution find avenues that they can become more productive and education is the key. Education is the key. Mm-hmm. And you, if, if automation plays a part because of technology revolution and you know innovation uh, what does that mean for immigration does immigration stop does immigration help or no is is there a correlation between automation and immigration well some immigrant most immigrants build bring in um, or are, are engaged in um, some of these stem industries that are bringing more and more automation now um, to stop the advances in automation would be like going back to luddite times mm. and we cannot grow in the long run without um, without using technology to leverage our skills mm. uh, but everybody including me stands um, um, to be threatened by the advance of technology. Does that mean that I want to close my border? No, it means that I want to adapt to this technology. Mm-hmm. My job can be, can be you know, automated. Um, there can be a com- computerized program that teaches you economics. So what can I do to make myself more amenable? Mm-hmm. Um, or can I learn technology and add to it my human component and make my lectures um, uh, more visible and more personal? So those are the kinds of things that will happen in the future. So it's not the immigrant that's going to be threatening us. It's the advent of technology. How interesting. So I was going to ask you, does immigration hurt or who does immigration hurt? And I don't know if you have an answer for it. So um, there is, so, you know, economists on this issue, there is more, as I say, more heat generated Mm -hmm. than light. Mm -hmm. There's study after study after study. And I can, uh, if any of your listeners are interested, I can point them to these studies that show that no, immigration does not. It actually adds to the supply pool. It um, maybe there is a short run depression of wages. But in the long run, uh, wages actually go up. Mm. And these studies have um, uh, looked at shocks in the economy. So, for instance, a, um, you know, a boat rescue and a lot of people joining uh, the labor force that were not primarily part of the labor force. Did it depress local wages? And the answer un- unequivocally was no, it did not depress local wages. Mm. However, it's become one of those um, let's let's thump our chest and, and, and you know, um, uh, bang these war drums. Um, and, that, and that's completely the wrong focus. Mm. So I think that it does in the in the longer run, immigration does add to wages. 
you cannot assume that a worker is a worker. So part of the problems with the models that are saying, no, 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 wages do go down as a result of immigration is that they're looking as a worker as a fungible commodity. Mm -hmm. You can take a worker here and put them to work there. There are kinds of jobs that immigrants do and there are kinds of jobs that Native Americans, Native, native born um, Americans do and they, you cannot substitute one effect for the other. So in the longer run, the short run effects do wash out. However, for a person who's seeing their job disappear, either as a result of technology or as a result of immigration, it's very easy to work psychologically with them and blame um, or find a scapegoat. Mm. And that's what's happening right now, mm. that, that, that a person who's seeing their way of life disappear is just looking as an immigrant, as a convenient scapegoat mm. and not looking at the larger picture. Mm. And so I think that's where, that's where public policy can really step in. That's very interesting. And uh, with the, uh, with the, you just said that's the wrong focus. The focus is wrong. What would be the right focus? I think that I think that um, God bless our Congress. <laughs> I I just hope they make the right decisions, and I hope they realize that um, a, a, a immigration and a rising labor force that creates human capital, that creates innovation, is an essence is, in, is, is what is going to let our economy grow in the long run. And Congress also has to recognize that there may be, there may be some undoubted short-run economic costs. And how can you alleviate these costs while at the same time recognizing the long-run benefits of immigration? Sometimes the argument goes into immigrants are criminals, and that's not true either. You can look at um, studies that show that immigrants are actually far less likely to commit crimes as compared to native-born populations. In fact, as a result of this new um, uh, environment, uh, anti-immigration environment, uh, immigrants are actually not coming out and reporting crimes. That's true. Which can create um, mm -hmm. social upheaval. Yeah. So there, are, there, are, there is a cost we're going to pay for ignoring these trends in our society. Yeah. And I just hope that policymakers can realize that, um, you know, that, that this, is, this is what is at stake. Our long-run economic standard of growth is at stake. Yeah. You, you know, as an immigration attorney, I, I see people who are very anxious and scared because of the, uh, the, the climate that, that we are in. And often there are questions, what do we do? And people are questioning whether they should even stay in America. Do you think that could even have an economic impact? Yes, actually, um, there have been some studies that point out that immigration has a multiplier effect. So there is an immigrant that comes in, an immigrant becomes an entrepreneur, this entrepreneur adds to jobs, these jobs create more jobs. So there's a multiplier effect that works positively. And likewise, if you have a study that says, let's deport everybody, there are studies that show how our GDP, our gross domestic product, our standard of life can actually decline by, by deporting immigrants. How, I mean, I, and that's, that's very insightful because I think that's the kind of short sight this administration has. Mm -hmm. If we're going to uh, deport 11 million people, then we are actually losing people um, uh, from coming into the U.S. and helping the GDP growth. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't have a lot of time in, but it, it may be just a minute for you to tell us some last thoughts. Uh, so what, what would you want our listeners to know about immigration and economics? 
Well, I just want um, I, I just want to urge Congress, um, as we did in this open letter, 1,470 economists actually signed it. Um, and at the end of the letter, we um, pretty much urge Congress to modernize our immigration system. Um, sure, there are abuses in, in, in any system, and those can be fixed without complete bans. Actually, outright bans on anything, starting from prohibition to, um, I don't know, smoking, etc., they never work. So uh, in a way, um, we want the um, Congress to device smart immigration policy that maximizes every opportunity that immigrants can bring um, and, 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 and continue this country's rich history of welcoming immigrants. Actually, a very interesting statistic that I was looking at is that, yes, immigrants um, as um, a percentage of U.S. population have risen from less than 5% to currently more than 13%. But this percentage of foreign-borns is very similar to the early 19th and 20th century in the United States. Wow. And what, what does that mean? And what it means is you can just go back in history and say that, well, this is where the um, an, a foreign population to the native population was. And look where the United States has come from the early 19th, 20th century to where it is right now. And it wouldn't have happened had there not been a rising, a, a great percentage of foreign-born populations as a percentage of native-born. Mm. There's another area of research that uh, goes into not just the individual immigrant, but diasporas. Mm. Diasporas are also, um, these are moving or migrations um, and communities of people away from their um, established homelands. But these create networks. Networks create businesses and business can grow across borders. It helps the spread of ideas and net and, and diasporas actually help increase wealth and through remittances help increase wealth of the countries that they come from. And eventually we want that, the world to converge. We want that, That's amazing. Fascinating. I have to have you on the uh -huh. show again. Please, okay. please come back. Definitely. I could talk to you all day long about all of these issues, but we're running out of time, I'm afraid. Um, this was Dr. Rishi from Seattle University, who is a, a fixture in our community and very renowned in doing all the types of things that she does. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Rishi. Very, very grateful, and I hope you will come back. We are running out of time. Uh, listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Viewers, thank you for joining us, too. Um, Next week, we'll be talking with um, Sheriff Oakhart, who is our sheriff in, in, our, um, in, our, in Seattle. And we'll be talking about sanctuary cities and what it means for us and the country and all the things that are going forward. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. And we will look, um, to look forward to speaking with you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.